Please turn in your Bible to 2 Corinthians. While you're turning, we're going to play a game this morning. We're going to play a game entitled, Who Am I? And I'm going to begin with a description. As soon as somebody knows who I'm talking about, you can say the name. Who am I? I that wasn't a, the first question. Uh, I am a, I am dark haired. I am short. I ran a cab company. I am a Renaissance man. My twin is Arnold Schwarzenegger. Danny DeVito, that's right. My last one was, my wife is Carla from Cheers. Fun, right? That's the only one I have. We don't need to guess as to who we are. And sometimes that's one of the, well, that's one of the biggest questions in the universe is who am I? And we look at these type of things. We look at what we've done or what we look like to determine who we are. Well, I don't want you to walk out of here this morning not knowing who you are. We have been journeying through the exchange life. And if this is your first time and you've never heard of the exchange life, uh, you may have heard of it as the abundant life in Christ. Essentially what it is, is it's abiding in Christ and letting His life fill you and do ministry through you instead of us coming up with something to do to be more like God. Because that's what happened with Eve in the garden. The enemy lied to her about who she was because she was created in the very image of God. And he said, well, if you do this, you'll be like God. And there was the lie. She was already like God. And he attached behavior to that. And we've done the same thing today in the Christian church. Instead of realizing that when we were saved, that God completely transformed and changed us. And we live in who we are now instead of this idea of us efforting our way to be good Christians. And the beauty of that is that we already stand redeemed. We already stand righteous. We already stand holy. And we're going to begin to, to dive into some of that even next week. We're going to start this week with who we are. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Father, I pray as we travel through these verses this morning ask you to speak to us. Ask you to show us what's true and help us to embrace your son and embrace each moment that you give us as your ambassadors here. Thank you for loving us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning as we go through uh, this next installment of Who Am I in our journey through the exchange life, we're going to discuss um, we'll be discussing who we are by looking at our new creation, our composition, and then how God made us. And so you're a new creation in Christ. We've all heard that verse. If we've ever been to church, we've heard that verse used before. But he begins, if we begin to break it down, it begins to reveal some things to us. He says, um, he begins, he says, anyone, if anyone is in Christ, anyone who is in Christ, he is speaking to those 
who are saved. And so there is a transformation that takes place when you're saved. It's not just the forgiveness of your sins and the removal of that and heaven is a destination. There is a change to who you are. There's a change to your identity. The enemy would like you to not believe that. The enemy would like to, you to believe that you're just a sinner saved by grace, that you're all busted up and broken, and that you're a mess. But that's not what God's Word says. Our sins have been separated for us, from us as far as the East is from the West, and yet we're still trying to deal with them. We have been completely forgiven. We walk with Christ. We move. We live and move and have our being in Him. Our life is hidden with Christ and God. And yet we act like we're just trying to survive. And it's not meant to be that way. Those who are in Christ, this transformation takes place at the very moment of your salvation. You're a brand new creation. And he begins, he talks about that, that we're a new creature. You know, which is interesting because I have heard, and maybe you've heard this too, is, well, this is, we go back to the pre-garden fall, that we become like Adam and Eve, that we're pure again. But that's not what he said. He said we're a new creature. So that's a creature that had been exi existed before, right? So we're something new. We have been exposed to sin. We have been exposed to a fallen flesh. They had not. But Jesus Christ comes in and he doesn't leave us in that condition because when he went to the cross and paid for our sins and he was buried and the third day rose again, he took care of our sin problem. We now are become a new creature. Somebody has been exposed but yet completely forgiven. And there's things that we end up dealing with because of that, in which we're going to move into here in a few moments. We become something that's never existed before. But he says this also. The old passed away. You know, when you use the phrase passed away, what does that mean? Well, so-and-so passed away. It means they died, right? Isn't that how we use it? So something died at the cross with Christ. That's uh, Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ who lives in me. In this life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the power of the Son of God who died and gave his life for me. So I died at the cross. So when I put my faith in Christ, what died at the cross? Was it my flesh? No. Was it my soul? No. Was it my spirit? Yes. And we're going to get into that in a minute. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. But something died. Did Jesus really die on the cross, or did he? It was the biggest fake out in in, the, in history. Did he really give it up? So something actually has to be dead. If I die, then something actually has to be dead. We don't have. You ever heard the illustration? Well, you got a good dog and a bad dog uh, uh, inside of you. Whatever you feed is what wins. You ever heard that one before, anybody? That's a lie. You don't have a good dog and a bad dog. Jesus talked about that. He talked about not sweeping the house clean and leaving it vacant because they come back ten times worse. He doesn't leave us in a fallen state with eternal life. He doesn't leave us with a broken down sin nature and eternal life at the same time. So something died. Our old sin nature, we know it also as the old man, our old spirit is dead. 
New things have come. We're given a new spirit and we're given the Holy Spirit. When you come to faith in Christ, you are given brand new life in Christ. And that's what it's about. Well, what is our composition? What is our composition? Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24 begin to explain this. He says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete, without blame, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is, is he who calls you, and he also will bring it to pass. And so there is an argument that has gone on for years. It goes back to the early church times. Of are we a bipartite or tripartite being? The bipartite argument is that there's that which is physical and that which is spiritual. We only have two. Then there's the argument that says we have a spirit, a soul, and a body. And that's a tripartite. I hold, to the, I hold to the latter simply because I, can, I see it in Scripture. He explains it. I mean, there it is right there. He names all three separately. So that's why I hold that view, because that's what Scripture says. And so what is he talking about in understanding who we are? It's, it's really important that we get this, folks, because if you see yourself, if you don't understand who you really are, you're going to respond incorrectly when things come in your life. We live in a body. The, temp the, the, the temple was where God dwelled. This is called the temple of God if he dwells within us. Their body's not God, is it? No. The temple wasn't God. So this is not us. Even though, boy, when we get up in the morning, we look at it, this is how we relate to us. But that's what the body is. The body is, is touch, taste, sight, smell, hearing, the physical flesh. It's how we relate to the world around us. That's what it's meant for. Now, those of you who's spend any time in this world know that over a period of time this this old busted up <laughs> shell breaks down doesn't it you'll know this if, if you, some of you are not there yet you're still kind of young but when you cross 40 years old you make sounds when you stand up and sit down it's part of it because this flesh has not been redeemed yet and so we live in a body. We possess a soul. Have you guys ever thought about the differences between this? This is really interesting. Watch how this develops. We possess a soul. That is our mind, will, and emotions. It's our personality, if you will. You say, well, how are we, isn't that, my dog has a will. Well, I'll tell you, he's got a strong mind. We've got to, we got to break that. They even show remorse sometimes when they do the wrong thing. If you don't know, go on YouTube or Facebook and watch it and ask when somebody's asking whose dog did that and the dog's putting his head down and hiding. And, right? They show that. They have, a, they have a soul. They have a personality. 
It's a self-consciousness. It's meant for self. We're aware of ourselves. Our mind, will, and emotions. We respond emotionally to things that happen. And usually our emotions are about us. You know, and I've said this before. I, I think it's really, I'm finding it to be more and more true. When we say we love something, if I were to ask you the things you love, Usually, our love is a selfish love. I love this ice cream because I enjoy the way it tastes. Because it makes me feel good. Or I love um, going to the ball game because of how it makes me feel. That's not a selfless love. That's a selfish love. Think about that. Think about the things you love and why you love them. When God loved us, he did it selflessly for our own benefit. He did it for us, not for him. And so we have to deal with the mind, will, and emotions. In our, have you ever had a, a bad thought in your mind? Anybody? Beside me? I'll go first. <laughs> I'm Adam. I've had a... Are all the thoughts in your mind your own? Okay. You know, we used to go down to Dairy Queen. Terry and I used to do this. We used to go down there and we'd split a banana split. So we had a quarter split. Then we had a half a split. And the banana would go like this, and you'd have the they'd have the little cherries and then this. How many of you are picturing a banana split right now? Who put that in your mind? I did. Every thought you have is not your own. You have to, we're to take every thought captive to Christ. So we have thoughts that are not on the enemy can put them in there. And even though when I was explaining that, you were the thought and the picture was developing, he will do the same thing the enemy will. And so we have, we possess a soul, but we are a spirit. See, folks, that's our true identity. That's what died with Christ on the cross. That's what died. Our spirit is spiritually conscious. It's through our spirit that we're able to communicate with God. It's spirit to spirit. He talks about that in scripture as deep communicates to deep. It's that our spirit that we relate and that we hear. And are led by him. But we're so used to listening to our reasoning or our emotions as a guide to behavior instead of to our spirit, that many times we don't hear that. So we're a spirit. It's important that we understand how we're made because the enemy will lie to you about who you are and cause you to rely on your actions to change the outcome of your future. But you don't understand. We've got to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. We've got to you know, it's, we got to gut it out. we got to do the right thing. Well, we need to do the right thing, but what is that? If I can convince you that the right thing is to give a rattlesnake a kiss, you're going to try. It may be a hard sell. <laughs> but if you believe that's the... Because we all kind of do what we believe to be right, Right? 
To the best of our ability, we try to make the best and right decision every time. And we need to know how to evaluate that so that we can actually make the actual best decisions. And so if you rely on yourself for change, you're actually abandoning the work of the Holy Spirit in you. Well, I've got to try harder. Man, I can't tell you how many times I've rededicated my life. It didn't do no good. I felt better that I did it. But what does that feed? My soul. It doesn't feed my spirit. Somewhere God communicates with me. We're called, folks, to rely on Him. Not on ourselves. Not on ourselves. Let me show you from these verses. I'm not going to leave because this can be, I can leave, you'll be very frustrated right now. And if you are, that's understandable. But I don't want to leave you there. So I want you to watch how this works. I want you to see how God makes us. In the passage, in this passage, we see from uh, 1 Thessalonians that he talks about sanctifying. Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you. May the God of peace sanctify you. Well, aren't we supposed to work out our own salvation? Yeah, I'm saying to do that. You surrender to him as he leads you. What does sanctify mean? That's like one of those church words, right? We don't really use that in real life. Sanctify just means to be set apart. And so he works in your life to pull you out, to actually pull you out of the things of the world and the things that your mind has built on how to cope with life so that you can walk with him. But God does that. But we try to tell you as the church that you need to do that. You ever heard that before? You need to do this, or you need to do that, or you need to do this. This word here, read it yourself, read it in your Bible, says, God will sanctify you. You have to let it, but it's a work that He does. We are told that He will preserve us complete. Isn't that interesting? We all, I'm going to focus on both words, but we all want to focus on the word preserve, right? Because it's keep us... But there's another word I think that's almost more important than that there. The word complete. How do you preserve something... Do you preserve rotten meat? How many of you do that? You wait till the meat starts to turn. You put it in your little, your little tool that sucks all the air out and then you throw it in the freezer. Would you do that? No, we throw it away, right? We preserve fresh meat, ready to go. We do it to preserve it, to keep it fresh. So when he says to preserve you complete, he's already made you complete. But the enemy will tell you you're not. The, the enemy will tell you that um, you fall short here, or you're not good at this, or you can't sing like so-and-so, or you can't speak like so-and-so. Or God's not using you like Billy Graham. 
Thank God, that's Billy Graham's journey. That ain't my journey. If I attempted that, I would fail. That's not my calling. Yet, that I know of. Whatever your calling is, God has already completed you. But the enemy will tell you how you're insufficient so he can make you try to go do something. That's going to fail because we do it in human effort and then we want to blame God and we say this Christian thing doesn't work. And it's because we're believing the wrong things. But he preserves us. He keeps us in that state. We so often think it's up to us to, man, I've got to maintain this. I've got to maintain this. I can't do this. I've got to work. I mean, I've mean, I just got to do this because I know that I'm going to do that. And we don't realize that we're actually free from that. Jesus said, if I've set you free, you're free indeed. Did Jesus set you free when you were saved? Yes or no? Right? Why do we believe that we are still tied to some things then? If we, we just said that we, we believe that word, why do we still believe that I have to? You don't understand. I struggle with. I have to do this. It's difficult for me. It's so hard. I don't know how I'm going to make it. And the problem is we don't believe we're free. Amen. That's the problem. That's why understanding who we are matters. He will preserve us complete. It's a work He does. We don't have to maintain our salvation. Boy, we're, we're taught that so often. I grew up with that. You can relax. You're not going to blow it. And if you make a mistake, you learn from it, keep going. Because if it's up to us, when we make a mistake, it's like, oh man, I'm such a terrible, you ever been in this conversation with God? I'm such a terrible person. I can't believe I did. I can't believe this is going on in my life. This is awful. You ever had that conversation with God? And God's just sitting in heaven saying, hey, I can't even see that. Because he removed your sin as far as the east is from the west. I can't even see that. So see, the enemy's going to lie to you and tell you something is lacking. You're not enough. You're right, I'm not. But he is. We're told that he will preserve us without blame. Boy, the enemy wants to blame us all the time. Do you all know the difference between conviction of the Holy Spirit and condemnation? We don't, we don't often discern the difference when we're out there walking. So I'm going to help you this morning. Conviction of the Lord says, hey, that wasn't the right thing. You're missing out on this that God has for you. And we're being drawn to him. Condemnation comes and says, Mark, you're terrible. You better avoid the presence of God because he's going to see what you did. That's what they were going through in the garden. What did they do? When they heard God coming, what did they do? 
they went and hid themselves and they covered they covered themselves with fig leaves and eventually God covered them with animal skins they went away from God that's how you can determine whether you're being under condemnation and that's how you can start to discern the voice of the enemy and she'll tell you how terrible you are where God will tell you how much he loves you and wants you on the journey with him where does it lead you we have to discern those things, folks. We're going to keep going through these same cycles and we're never going to live in the victory we actually already have. There will be no blame. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. That's Romans 8.1. There's no more condemnation for you. So if you're living with that, that's that voice that's telling you and you're hearing that sounds just like your voice is not your voice. It's the enemy. And then we're given this really cool thing at the very end of the verse. We're reminded that he is faithful and will bring it to pass. All these promises are great unless the person promising them is a liar, Right? Somebody promises you something and it's proven to not be true what they say, then you don't trust them. But this is God. God's not a liar. There's no lying, no shadow of turning in Him. And so when God promises it, He is going to bring it to pass. It's a guarantee. There's no way out of it. We don't have to hope He'll do it. He will do it. Well, we think faith is, but I hope so. I hope God comes through. Have you ever thought that? Let's talk about that for just a second. Yeah, if you just had enough faith, Mark, then fill in the blank here. You ever heard that? I've had some people tell me that. I just laugh inside. Because my faith doesn't determine the will of God. It determines my participation in it. Faith says, God said it, it's done. Whether I believe it or not. Me believing it, you've heard this, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. You ever heard that one? Me believing it is not a requirement of faith. <laughs> God said it, that settles it. Whether I align myself with that is allows me to participate in it. It doesn't settle it because I agree with it. It's settled it because he said it. Amen? Mm. <clears throat> We're reminded that he's faithful. Listen, we are called not to try harder, but to trust harder. To rest in him and wait on those moments. And we so bad want to be used. When, If I were to ask you, we all want to be used by God, right? But we're here. But we got to know how he wants to use us. Otherwise, we're just, we're just spitting in the wind trying to figure it out. And if we'll just relax and rest into him, he'll show us each and every moment what he's up to. He absolutely will. So what do we take away from this study on who we are? How we see ourselves can open us up to the enemy. Anytime we embrace something that is not true, the enemy will use it to 
I catch further deception. If we can agree with him on something that's not scriptural, then he will attach further things to that to lead us further and further away from the Lord. That's why it's important that we do know the word. I think it's, I believe it's, somebody will check me on this, but 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show yourself approved, a workman that does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Because listen, you can make this word say anything you want it to say. You know, it's the old story of the guy said, you know, Lord, lead me. And he opened his Bible and he looked down, he put his finger down, opened his eyes and said, Judas went out and hung himself. Whoop! And he closed it. He said, well, that must not have been the Lord. And he said, Lord, lead me. And he drops the Bible open again. He closes his eyes, puts his finger down and says, go and do that likewise. That's not the leading of the Lord. That's not how God works. You need to understand stuff in context. What God meant, what God said when he wrote it. What he meant when he wrote it. Not what we make it to, to say. The truth matters, folks. Not the truth I'm comfortable with, but the actual truth. Anybody here ever get uncomfortable with some truth? <laughs> right? And the reason that I'm uncomfortable with some truth is because I'm not in alignment. That's an indicator that Mark is, he needs an alignment. 89.99. I need an alignment. I need to be aligned with what God is doing. And if I don't, I'm going to be off. You know, what if I'm one one hundredth of an inch off on my trajectory here? That's so, so small, so little. But when I get to the destination, I could be in Utah instead of New Mexico. Oh, it doesn't matter, it's just a little. It matters. It matters. So how we see ourselves can open us up to the enemy too. You may not be who you think you are. We actually kind of see ourselves as the sum of our physical appearance, our thoughts, and decisions. Right? This is kind of who I am. I look like this. Sorry about that for you, but I look like this. I have these kind of thoughts. I've made these decisions. This is me. This is who I am. That's not who we are. That's not who we really are. Who we really are is who God said we are. We relate to Him. Didn't He say somewhere in there that this world is not our home? We're just passing through. We're ambassadors. Ambassadors don't live in their home country, folks. It's all through there. But we want to put down roots like it is. If I believe that that's my home and I've got and I'm passing through, it changes how I relate to this place. I'm not the sum total of my decisions and my appearance. Three, it's not up to you to maintain your salvation. The enemy would love for you to work harder to be a good Christian. You ever been told you need to be a good Christian? 
What did they say to Jesus when they said when they called him a good man? What did he say? He said, There's none good, no, not one. And yet we're pursuing something that Jesus said doesn't exist. If I'm wrong, you tell me. You show me in here and I'll submit. I promise you I will. Because I've been wrong before. Like in 1989. <laughs> We're not just this. <laughs> it's not up to us, folks. We're defined. We are defined by who we are. What we have done has already been handled. Accept and rest in that fact. Accept and rest in it. Don't continue to live this life of defeat and struggling and missing out on what God wants to do today. Do you realize God has a plan for you in the moments that take place today? How many of you approach your day like that or do you approach it from your to-do list? Maybe, I remember this, I remember this, I was talking about this, so I know my, my schedule's going to go haywire today, but um, I was talking about this and I, uh, one Sunday, and I was somewhere, because it was on my list, and someone just started talking to me out of the blue, and the Lord said, you need to be here. In that moment, I just felt that, the communication with my spirit, this is where you need to be. And so I stayed there and I watched the hand of God work in the conversation between us, in both of us. We're so driven by lists and agendas and goals and instead of being driven by what God wants in the moment. And I, you know what, let me, <laughs> this is gonna be awful. You know the biggest problem to really being in there is our emotions. Our emotions keep us from what God wants. Fear, <coughs> expectations, things like that. Do you realize that there is, God has no, you have no unmet expectations with God? I want you to think about that for just a moment. For God to expect you to do something that you don't do or that you fail at would mean that he doesn't know that he's not all-knowing. So God doesn't sit in heaven disappointed of you. He knows everything you're going to do from, from birth to death. So you can stop worrying about disappointing him. And start living in the joy and the fact that he saved you. We stop communicating with God. A lot of times we feel like we've failed him and we've disappointed him. You can't disappoint somebody that doesn't have expectations of you that they don't know what you're going to do. It's, it's self-defining. It's, it's self and so it's not up to you. What we, we have to accept and rest in the fact that salvation is the free gift of God. Not as a result of works. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 that no one may boast. It's not what you do that saves you. It's the Holy Spirit of God that saves you. Thank God. <laughs> Thank God. Because if, listen, if I save you in trouble, if I save myself, I'm really in trouble. 
you know, it's, it's important that we understand who we are. You know, there was a minister that was teaching children's church. And that Sunday he was teaching on the 23rd Psalm. We all know the 23rd Psalm. If you don't, it goes, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Well, this guy goes in there and he's teaching on this and he tells the kids that sheep are dumb and they make mistakes, they fall in the thorns and thistles, they get a mess that's going on around them. But the good shepherd will keep them from all that. And he asked them, he said, who are the sheep? And they all said, we are the sheep. And he goes, and who's the good shepherd? And one of the kids in the crowd said, Jesus. You know, he was expecting them to say him because he was the under shepherd, if you will. And so a little disappointed inside, he said, he asked, and it was one of the new kids. He asked him, well, then who am I? And the new kid looked at him, puzzled, kind of blank face. He goes, well, you must be the sheepdog. <laughs> the moral of the, the story is it's important that we know who we really are. It's important that we know who we really are so that we can follow and enjoy what God has laid out before us. The biggest enemy of doing that is, but what about what I want? But what about what I want? When you want what he wants, it's a beautiful moment. When you try to stay on your agenda with what you want, you're going to miss out on what he wants. Because you can't do both. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. You won't pursue him and you won't pursue the things you want either. You'll feel bad about both. Unless everybody bow their head and close their eyes.